Tonight on Piers Morgan Uncensored, I've come to a place that's been on my bucket list of places to visit uh, in my time in America. And it's this extraordinary car emporium that belongs to the TV superstar Jay Leno, one of the world's greatest ever talk show hosts, but also a car fanatic. He has got over 200 of the greatest cars ever made, including the most expensive car in history. And tonight, he's going to sit down with me for an exclusive interview about life, about America, about the upcoming elections, but also about his cars, because behind every car is an incredible story. Jay, I've got to say, I've lived and worked in Los Angeles for nearly 20 years. My number one bucket list of the whole time I've been here has been to get inside well, your garage. Well, it's not like I didn't invite you. I invited you dozens of times. <laughs> you did. So it's not like you're you did. like, oh, no, I don't want to. come? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. But, well, well, thanks for I, coming. I've got to say, you walk in. We're going to go on a little walk and talk with your cars later. Right. But, but just to walk into this is a quite extraordinary thing. I have never seen a car collection like this anywhere in the world. Well, there's plenty of car collections like this. I, I just buy what I like. It's the more money than brains club. There's really no theme here. It's not Italian cars or the Renaissance, but, you know, it's none of that. It's just just things I like, cars of historical or technical interest. And, you know, and it, it's fun. You know, when you work with your hands, it appreciates how easy it is to make money just talking, you know, because you take a transmission, like, ah, some guy made 80 bucks for this. And then you go on and say, oh, Plus, I think it, it, it makes you appreciate showbiz a little bit. Jay Leno is the Tonight Show king who ruled late night in America for over 20 years, reaching the blue-collar parts of middle America his competitors couldn't. Leno's rivalry with the great David Letterman is the stuff of showbiz legend, as is the story of how he came out of retirement to reclaim his show from his successor, Conan O'Brien. Leno's interviewed the biggest names of our times, giving him a unique perspective on what makes the great country of America tick including what unites it and what divides it. When you look at the state of politics in America, particularly fueled perhaps by social media, which tends to inflame the extremities on right. both sides, do you worry about that? Do you worry that America's well, becoming ever more polarised politically? being an optimist, my, the biggest fear for years was not enough, nobody's voting, and nobody voted. This last election, whether you're for Trump or for Biden, huge, huge. everybody, vote. not everybody, but the highest, no one ever predicted that. They thought it would just continue to go down and people under 30 would never vote. And, you know, well, no, that all changed. So it, it got people interested. So I think that's one of the benefits of it, you know. What do you make of the Donald Trump phenomenon? There's no other way to describe it. When in 1999, he appeared on The Tonight Show with you. Right. Uh, and was when he first said he was going to run for president. And you, like everybody else, laughed at this uh, concept. And you quizzed him about his temperament. And Trump said this to you, I believe when someone wants to get you, you want to get them, and I believe that. And you said, but being president, you'd have to be more diplomatic. And he re replied, yes, but I believe in retribution. Well, A, no one's laughing now because he became president and may well be again. And he does exact retribution. He's done exactly what he said he would do. What do you think of this phenomenon of Trump, well, the politician? I'm not a fan. Uh, 
I think he has a, like this thing where they want to restrict him on the ballot. Mm -hmm. I, I'm against that because yes. that could turn against you. You could use it for the. It's anti-democratic. Right, it's anti-democratic. I mean, if the people want that person as president, that's fine. I mean, I'm not a fan. It has nothing to do with politics. I, I just don't think morally. I, I think we could do a little bit better. Uh, all these indictments, whatever it might be. You know, I just stopped doing politics and my act altogether because, you know, when I did the Tonight Show, the idea was you made fun of both sides equally, and mm -hmm. you get those. Mr. Leno, you and your Republican friends. Well, Miss Leno, you and your Democratic buddies. You know, and they'd both be angry. And I go, oh, that's good. You know, they both think you're supporting the other guy. Now you've got to take a side, and people are angry if you don't. Mm -hmm. And I find what I would start to tell a political joke. Well, they want to know the punchline before is this pro or against it. You know, so I just I just stopped doing it really? because I, I just want people to come and laugh and have a good time. I mean, I've known Trump a long time. I did the Celebrity Apprentice with him. I saw him a lot every night across the boardroom, and I saw actually a different character there than the one I see as a politician, but. You know, he was always bombastic, larger than life, always a big exaggerator, narcissist, and so on. Which is fine if you're not president. Right. Yeah. I was going to ask you that when you were interviewing him as Donald Trump, the real estate magnate come television celebrity, what did you think of him then? Well, I liked him. He was fine. He was an interesting character. He was a television character, exactly what you wanted for TV. Mm. You know, somebody that, that kind of... Irritates some people, amuses others, and that's fine. I, I, I liked him then. I actually did a couple of jobs for him as that. I just, you know, this January 6th business and all this other thing, it gets a little much. Well, I mean, I would imagine most Americans who don't have a kind of really visceral horse in the ring in this and look at it objectively, the idea of any president from either side simply refusing to accept the result of an election in America. Yes. That's a pretty slippery path. Yeah, yeah, that's a very slippery path. It's to me, it's like, uh, I like my banker to be about finances. I don't want a funny banker. Mm. I don't want a banker who's a flashy dresser with Italian sports cars, and I, I like him to be a banker. And that's what I want in a president. I mean, to me, I, I see nothing about the economy or, or about mm what's going to be done for the country. It's just getting back at Hillary or whatever. It just seems to be uh, things you shouldn't be worrying about as president. When you look at Joe Biden, he's 10 years older than you. Yeah. I mean, most people, including the majority of Democrats, think he's too old to run again. Do you think he should maybe take one for the team and step aside? Well, I think... He's fine to be president. I think it's harder to run for president than it is to be president. You got to go to the fair and eat the hot dog and, you know, mm -hmm. do the whole, all of that, uh, which, uh, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's, uh, look, I, I'm a fan. I like the man. I've known him for years. I had him on when he ran in 88, mm -hmm. you know? So uh, to me, uh, no, I, I like him. I think he's a good guy. And, mm -hmm. I, you know, the economy's doing pretty good. Right. I mean, that's something Trump said. He hopes the economy tanks. I saw that. Well, I go, really? Do you really hope? Mm. Uh, that's when I knew we were in trouble. When, when I would talk, I'd meet people on the street. I'd rather have Putin than Biden. Really? Mm. Really? Do you worry about what may happen in this country in terms of the division if Trump was to get reelected? Well, you get the government you deserve. I mean, that's pretty much the way the world works, or at least the way America works. If that's what people choose, well, that's, that's what's going to happen, isn't it? What does it mean to you to be an American? Well, it just, it, it makes me laugh because it's the only place, like I said, we don't want, I don't want an experienced politician in the White House. 
Do you feel America's still the land of opportunity? Do you still, it's, yes. It's, you know, it's still it, got it, that if cash? If you want to appreciate America, this is why I love immigrants, you know? Yeah. Well, America is the ultimate melting pot. Yeah, it That's really does seem to be. I don't see people, oh, we're trying to get into Moscow. We don't, I can't, I don't want, I don't, nobody wants to go there. Would, mean, it, would it have been a better country if, if the British royals had continued to oversee things? Oh, that would have been horrible, wouldn't it? <laughs> Terrible thing that would have been. No, 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 horrible, horrible. You know, sometimes think wistfully you could have been, you know, Prince Jay and... Yeah, that's what I want to be, <laughs> Prince Jay. Well, my mother's from Scotland, my mother's from Greece. Oh, well, I was going to say, I mean, the similarity you have with Donald Trump is that you both had mothers who were Scottish, you came right. here, and both your fathers were salesmen in New York. Right, yeah, that's true, that's true. Is that where the parallels stop? I think that's where the parallels stop. <laughs> I, I, again, I just don't agree with some of the moral decisions and other things, you know. Do you think I, one, of, one of the secrets of his success, because you can't deny the success or the popularity, is that he does have... Well, is it success or popularity? I mean, what are you talking about? Well, success in the sense he won the presidency yeah. with zero experience. Right, right. I mean, that's pretty extraordinary. Right. Uh, in popularity, he got 10 million votes more last election than the first time round, which is pretty staggering, right. given how divisive his tenure was. And he may well win again. The polls suggest he's got a very good chance. I think you have to have the ability to... I don't dislike people who like Trump. I mean, I meet people all the time, you know, guys that are uh, mechanics or, like, blue-collar guys that like Trump for that reason. And I like them. I like them. I don't... I, you know, we live in an era now, if you have an electric car, you're a vegan, and you voted for Biden, and you want Governor Newsom to be president of the United States. If you have a gas car, you like guns, you like... You know, the idea that you, you, you've got to be one or the other. To me, I, I, have, I, I like to have friends on both sides. Is that one of the reasons that there's a, a sense that far less is being actually done in the Senate in Congress, because it's so visceral now, the tribalism on both sides. Yeah, I think it's so. It's very difficult for politicians yeah. to do deals with the other side. I think so. And if, and if you do, you're a traitor or whatever it might be. You know, I, I mean, you know, I like Mitt Romney. I think he's a terrific guy. Um, great human being. Uh, the fact that he gets ostracized mm. from the Republican Party because of his views... is nuts. But I, I think he's, I think he's correct. I, I mean, he, I, I don't want a president who's been uh, impeached mm. two times. Mm. It just seems. I think we can do better. Do you think anyone should be allowed to run for president on a, on any side, if you're facing a hundred criminal charges? Well, I have the right not to vote for them. Right. So, so I would, I would. Here's my vote. If you choose to have someone who's a criminal as president, okay. I have to accept your choice. What do you make of the, the woke culture, particularly where it pertains to cancel culture? I always meet comedians that say, uh, you know, you can't even compliment women anymore. <laughs> well, yeah, you can't go, hey, nice boobs, <laughs> okay? If you were to say, oh, that's a really pretty dress. Mm. Oh, I don't want any women to go, oh, they Actually, go, there are some that would now well, take offense. No, no, but see, but I think it's... you're objectifying but, them. But what I'm saying is, I said, oh, that's a nice outfit. Oh, thank you. Mm. I mean, I, I'm, just, I'm using normal people, mm. common sense, yeah. not one extreme or the other. Most people know when you've crossed the line. Didn't, did the Me Too campaign go too far? Is the pendulum coming back? Well, no, I think any, any pendulum swings to the far left or the far right, 
before it comes back to center. It's just something that happens. I mean, yeah, no, I, I, I think it is what it is. And I think you're seeing it come back to center now. Okay. I think there's a lot of anger, a lot of animosity. Uh, women over the years have built up, um, you know, if, if you were someone, this happened to you in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, you're going to be pretty mad in the 90s or the 2000s. So I, I get it. I, I understand it. And is it unfair that it swings that way? Yeah, but if it's unfair, it went the other way too. So You, know. you interviewed a lot of people who were Me too mm -hmm. Were Was that a surprise to you when you found out what some of them were actually like? Well, for a lot of them, you kind of knew they were like that. I mean, there's not a lot of people where I go, oh, really? I'm surprised that, you, you, you know... Uh, it, it's uh, Harvey Weinstein. I mean, he was always a bully. He was a bully. He would call me and say, hey, I, I, I need so-and-so on the show tomorrow night. And I go, I can't. I got so Well, get kicked them off. I go, Harry, I'm not going to do it. And he would yell at me and intimidate. Well, you're not going to get any. You know, he would just be that way all the And he was a bully. Mm -hmm. So when, when he got caught, I was not the least bit surprised. <laughs>
we each come away with something, mm. some piece of material, some little nugget of something that we can use, you know. Because uh, he is one of the great comics, and to, to me, he likes the technical aspect of writing jokes, you know. And Letterman was the same way, too. Very clever, very sharp, mm. you know, uh, a good ad libber. No, I, 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 I'm hugely a fan of Dave. You know, I was real happy because I would get the ratings and he would get the critics. And that was fine with me. Or mm. I could have switched that at any point. Oh, I'll take critics or I'll you take ratings. All right, fine. I mean, it, 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 it didn't matter. I like the fact that we both were successful and we both came away with, with, uh, with something. What about Conan O'Brien? I like Conan. I, you know, that, that's another one of those weird situations that when he was at NBC, Don Omeyer was not a fan. And he said, I don't know, like this guy, just throw, you know, he asked me what I thought. And I said, I like him. I think he's really funny. I said, I'll tell you what, I'll promote him every night at the end of my show. I said, hey, stay tuned for Conan. He's got, uh, you know, Sean Connery, whatever it might be. And so we did that every night, <clears throat> and that was fine. And then uh, after quite a few years, um, Jeff Zucker came to mm -hmm. me and said, uh, uh, Conan's people want you out. He wants the show. I go, what do we do? Well, here, here's my favorite thing. I said, well, I'm number one. And I remember one of the NBC executives said, you know, we want what's above number one. <laughs> I said. That is so L.A. Yeah, and I said, well, what, what is that? Well, we just want, I said. It'll be better than number one, and, Jay. And, and to me, I always sign pay and play contracts. I never sign. You know, I always say to people, I got a development deal. They have to pay me even if I don't work. And I go, okay, you don't want that. Mm. Because if they're paying you not to work, that means they don't want you to work. They're paying you not to work. Uh, so my deals are always, if you're paying me, you got to pay. So my contract is pretty, I'm on for five years. So, okay, at the end of five years, they want to place you with Conan. And I said, I didn't have a manager. I didn't have an agent. I didn't have any. Really? Did it all yourself? No, I do it myself. I said, look, if they don't want you, I don't want to die of a thousand paper cuts. You know what I'm saying? So I said, okay, fine. So I'll retire after the next five years. Conan's doing fine. And then Craig Ferguson comes along, who was great. Mm -hmm. And Craig Ferguson goes out to Conan, and then suddenly he starts winning. He wins a Peabody Award and other things, and Emmy nominated. And they go, and then suddenly Jeff Snooker and everybody's like, oh, did we make a mistake? I said, guys, I'm here. I'm, what, what am I doing? I said, well, uh, I've been trying to figure out what to do. They said, you want to... What, you want to stay on? I go, well, I'm not going to stay on that. So, so they said, we'll do a 10 o'clock show. I never thought a 10 o'clock show would work, mm -hmm. but they said, I'll tell you, we'll pay your staff for two years, full benefits pay. All right, we'll try it. Well, it lasted about nine months because we're competing with Law and Order and mm -hmm. 10 o'clock drama series and stuff. It, it didn't work. Uh, and then they said, well, how about you go on at 11.30 for half an hour and Conan takes it from 12? I said, if Conan will go for that, I'll go for it. But, well, they brought that to Conan. He said no, and he quit. So then they came to me and said, all right, why don't you come back? I said, all right, fine. Mm. But there was no... But isn't the truth really? I mean, I read it all. And Good. Isn't the truth in the end? You didn't want to leave The Tonight Show in the first place. You no, were number one. I didn't want to leave. You didn't want to leave. You were put in a position where you kind of were forced to. Yeah. And everything else unraveled from that. You've still been blamed by a certain number of people oh, about yeah. it all. But it seemed to me that your only crime was that you were number one in a show you loved doing. Right, right. And you didn't want to give it up. Yeah, that's pretty much it. That's I mean, that was the story, it. wasn't it? That was the story, yeah. But, I mean, the idea that... 
I would read these things, uh, Leonard demanded $150 million. No. I said, how, they fired me. How could I demand? You know, they have all these ridiculous things. Isn't it true that you, you never used any of your money from television? No. Nothing? I'm a comedian. I make my living doing stand-up comedy. If you get a TV show, oh, that's nice. But TV shows last either six weeks or 22 years. So what did you do with these hundreds of millions of dollars? Still there. Untouched? Well, I mean, not untouched, but yeah, yeah. I, I live, with the exception of cars and motorcycles. You're I about to say you frugal. live frugally, surrounded by the well, greatest Spanish yeah, I'm still using the Happy Me coupons, <laughs> you know? I mean, it, it's funny because I, I'm one of those people I live on what I, I make that week. If I don't work this week, I think I'm broke. Is that, is that going back to the early days of comedy? Oh, yeah, yeah. Exactly. All comedians seem to have that streak in them. Oh, they, yeah, they're yeah. terrified that one day you they'll always, be back there. No, no, you always, you have to be hungry. You are you, are you still as hungry as ever? Yes. Really? Yes. That's amazing. Yes. After all your success, everything you've achieved, yeah. you still have that burning inside you. Well, I, I mean, I like to write jokes and tell them. You like to try them out. I mean, so the same joke you do over here at Flappers or the Comedy Magic Club, uh, you same when you get paid tons of money in Vegas. Do you think you could still be doing the Tonight Show? I mean, if, if everything had just been left as it was. Well, I think at some point you realize I shouldn't have to know all the Jay-Z's music, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I knew I was, it was going to want to go, ladies and gentlemen, my next guest has sold more albums than Elvis and the Beatles combined. Please welcome, who is this? <laughs> who is this guy? I never heard of the song. I don't know him. I'm meeting him for the first time. What? I mean, then I realized, okay, maybe it's getting a little, you know. I had two moments on the Tonight Show with you, which I, I will never forget. One you know about, because you said it to me, but the other one you don't know about, I think. But the first one was when I was at CNN and I was taking on the NRA about the, the gun, the mass shootings after Sandy Hook. And it was getting very unpleasant, the whole debate. And you came and saw me in my dressing room for a cup of tea. And you said, look, here's the deal, Piers. The problem is, he said, that you're preaching to an audience, most of whom probably have guns or like guns. It's a bit like if you went to Germany and told them to stop speeding on the autobahn. Right? They don't want to hear it from you, and they definitely don't want to hear it from your accent. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought it was brilliant advice. It really made me stop and think that actually it's, uh, it's American culture, and for somebody from Britain to come in and start lecturing Americans about right, their right, culture. Right. There are clear issues with the gun violence in this country which need to be sorted, but Americans need to sort that themselves. Right. It can't be down to, you know, somebody like Mad King Charles's, uh, <laughs> Mad King, it can't be like somebody like Mad King George's successor, right? Right, right, right. yeah. yeah but I remember you doing that, and I was very grateful because it put it into clear <laughs> sense for me. Funny. Um, and the other thing that you probably don't know, I did the show once with Robin Williams. We were the only two guests. And I was in my dressing room, and it was just when Susan Boyle had become the biggest oh, yeah, breakout yeah, yeah. reality talent show star in history with I Dreamed a Dream. And I was in the dressing room with my late great manager, John, and we were sitting there, and the door knocked, and in came Robin Williams. But he was in character. He was half Susan Boyle, oh. half Mrs. Doubtfire. Oh, yeah, and he did a 15-minute turn, just impromptu. It was one of the funniest things I've oh, ever yeah, watched Robin in my life. And it was just for me and my manager, 
And then he went and that was it. And we were on stage, we did our bit with you and that was it. And we went our separate ways. I never saw him again, right. but it was an introduction to real genius. Oh yeah, he was Robin fabulous. Williams. He was fabulous. You know, I first met him, he was posing as a Russian comedian. And I was telling people, you know, this kid, he's funny, but he speaks Russian, he's not really. You know, I, I didn't realize it was Robin Williams. <laughs> When you see people like Dave Chappelle literally being attacked on stage for their comedy, does that worry you that that, that line has been crossed now where people, you, when you saw what happened with Will Smith well, and this Chris makes me, Rock? Well, it makes me laugh because I used to work at a place called the Rodeo Lounge that had chicken wire. So you'd be on stage telling jokes, and boom, a bottle would just bounce off the outside of it and smash on the ground. So people throw it. So the idea that... You're quite used to all this. You no, know, the idea of being attacked on stage, oh, that's fine. Yeah, compared to people throwing bottles and things, <laughs> that was, was actually okay. You know. When you saw Will Smith slap Chris Rock at the Oscars, mm -hmm. what went through your mind watching that? Well, what went through my mind is somebody totally misreading a situation. I think you're sitting there and someone's insulting your wife and you go, I bet if I go up and I smell, I bet people go, yeah, look at it. You know, John Wilkes Booth, mm. the exact same thing. John Wilkes Booth, the actor who shot Abraham Lincoln, hugely popular and hated Lincoln and the South hated Lincoln. He goes, well, I'm going to get up there. I'm going to kill Lincoln and I will be a bigger star than, and that's, that, that was his motivation, that he that would make him more famous and more powerful. Well, that backfired pretty quick. But Are you I, comparing Will Smith to the worst, the most notorious no, assassin in American no, history? No, not, not that, but <laughs> it's just the idea that, you know, you've got this thing going, okay, guy in South Korea, I'm going to go up there, I'm going to slap him for some, because it's not, I don't think it's far-fetched to think that some people would see that as, hey, that's a real man, or women go, I wish my husband would do that when that guy in a bar insulted me, you know, so... That's what I'd like to think probably went through his mind. He just misread the situation. Uh, but who knows? I watched the Golden Globes. Joe Coy, who I'd never heard of, yeah, but yeah. he was this stand-up guy. Very nice guy, very funny guy. Right. Incredibly unfunny presenting the Golden Globes. I mean, well, it was like cringe-making well, to watch. Well, that's a tough crowd. That's but you can still tell funny jokes. Well, not when you have just a few days to prepare. I mean, he took the job the last minute. I, if I was an agent, but if I gave manager, you ten minutes' notice to do the Globes, I wouldn't do it. You still make people laugh. You could wing your way through it. No, no, because that's a totally that is a crowd. You know, you can't. Have you done any of those award shows? No, I always really. I always I got asked to host the Oscars a couple of times. I said, look, I say, look, I tell jokes every night on the Tonight Show. Do I save my best jokes for the Tonight Show? I don't do my best jokes on the Oscars. But during the, nobody wants to see me do jokes five nights a week. Oh, and then the sixth night, oh, I come out and they tell jokes again. You just saw me Friday night. Do you have sympathy for Joe Coy? Yes, I do, because I know he's funny. And it's just not, well, I can remember one big star I had. Well, I remember, it was Joaquin Phoenix. He, he was on the show and he was in character when he had the beard and, just sort of mumbling and playing this yeah. character. And at the end of the show, I said, uh, hey, thanks for coming here. Next time, I hope you can come in person. You know? <laughs> so his publicist, he is a genius. You don't <laughs> talk to him that way. I go, well, he wasn't a genius now. He was kind of rude and really wasn't that funny. You know? And it wasn't that interesting. You know? I mean, I guess he's a nice guy, but it, it, he was just being very, you know, if you don't want to be there, fine. Don't, don't be there. You know? 
You know, that was the great thing about doing The Tonight Show. I could be in show business without being in show mm. business. Who were your favorite guests when you look back at it? Rodney was a favorite one. So while he's doing his act, I, I said to Debbie, our producer, I said, uh, I think Rodney's having a stroke. We call paramedics. She goes, really? I go, no, I, I think he is. Okay. Then the show ends. Rodney's in his dressing room. By this time, the paramedics come in. And I go, I go Rodney, uh, can the paramedics take a look at it? I think maybe you had a stroke. He goes, I'm okay, I'm okay. Well, he did have a stroke. Really? And they took him out in the stretcher. And he passed away not long after that. Wow. But another great guest was, um, I love Sean Connery. Yeah. Because he was not James Bond. Whenever Sean Connery would come to the show, he'd go, gee, gee, what's the latest filthy joke going about? <laughs> you know. So I would tell him the joke, and he would laugh like a pirate. Like, <laughs> He would laugh like that. He would literally slap his knee. He'd go, oh, my God, it did a funny one. And he was the only one who would take a shower in those little dressing rooms. And he would sing, oh, it's for Scotland. No, no, no. He'd just sing Scottish songs, you know. And the news crew would go, we're trying to do the news. I said, Sean Connery, he's in the shower. So he just, he was the only star I ever heard my mother go, you know, that's a real man, Jamie. I go, Mom, I don't want you to talk like, no, Jamie, that's a real man, that Sean Connery. You also had the six most famous words probably in talk show history when you looked at Hugh Grant after his little indiscretion in Los Angeles. With oh, what were you thinking? What the hell were you oh, thinking? That's right. <laughs> yeah, that was just an ad lib. And it was did you of... think about that before? No, or did it just come no, out? I just asked him. And, you know, he was great because in those days, I'm sure he had a publicist, but he came by himself. I went in the dressing room and I said, look, I got to ask you about this. You can answer. I'm not going to contradict you or, or belabor the point, but I just have to ask. He goes, that's okay. I deserve it. You know, he, he was very funny and he was very nice. You know, nowadays everybody has crisis no, management people, yeah. teams and all that kind of nonsense. But no, he, he was really terrific. But I'll tell you one that was really interesting to me. Uh, I was 13 when John F. Kennedy was assassinated. I remember coming home from school. And my mother's watching the TV, and tears are streaming out. She's watching the funeral. And when they pass the part where little John Jr. is saluting the casket, oh, my mother just, um, you know when your mom's in hysterics and you're a kid, you're like, what, I, 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 what to do? You know, my mom's just, oh, that little boy, what's going to happen? You know? And she's just so upset by this. I go, okay, fine. Go ahead, 40-something years. I have John F. Kennedy Jr. on the show. I had Seinfeld as first guest. And John, I'm in the dressing room. It didn't strike me. Hey, John, hey, thanks for coming on. Congratulations. Good, good luck with the magazines. Really good magazine. We talk a little bit, you know. Okay, my next guest is son of the president. Please welcome John F. Kennedy Jr. As he comes around the curtain, I shake his hand. I look up at the monitor. And I didn't start to cry, but I almost did. Because I never thought that circle of my mom, JFK, that those three, but I, I actually saw my mom in the monitor. Was, I, well, you know what I mean? I, yes. I, I, just, I just flashed. It took you back to that moment. But, well, yeah, it just took me right back to that. And it was like uh, just an interesting moment. Yeah. You lost both your parents within the space of a year, I think. They oh, died yeah, very no, soon no. after each yeah, other. Yeah. What do you feel you owe your parents? My mother, to the day she died, never understood. I remember my mother telling my Aunt Nettie what I did for a living. Well, Jay has a little skit that he puts on from town to town, <laughs> like a mod. You know, like I, I do a little dance. On, you know, it, it just always made me laugh. I remember I called my mom and said, Hey, Ma, I'm on the cover of Time magazine. Oh, wh which one? 
Time Magazine, you know Time Magazine? Oh, oh yeah, I know that. Yeah, Time Magazine, Ma. Uh, oh, well, that's good, you're on the cover. Oh, okay, I'll pick that up. I said, well, listen, call Uncle Frank in Florida, call in and Faye in New Jersey, and uh, you know, yeah, so and so in Connecticut. Tell them, Mama, and Mother of the Poor, she goes, well, I mean, I think they put you on the cover of the ones they sell around here because they know you're from this area. <laughs> she goes, I don't think you're on the cover. I go, Mom, I'm on the cover everywhere. She goes, I don't think so. I go, no, Ma, I'm on the cover everywhere. I mean, she, my mother could never get over happy. And when they would get recognized, you know, my mother would go to school, Leno, are you related to Leno? Oh, did you go to school with my son? How did, no, no, Ma, well, Ma, I'm on TV, Ma, that's, that's only, yeah, yeah, it's just, yeah, no, they, they What were, was your dad like? My, my dad, was the same thing. Do you get your humor from them, do you think? Yeah, they were pretty funny. You know, my dad was an insurance salesman. My dad was a prize fighter. And he sold insurance and they made him manager. And once a month, my dad would put on a show to inspire them. It was all men selling insurance in those days. It was door to door. So he would say, you guys, you guys can't sell insurance. Well, I can't juggle. By the end of the month, I'm going to know how to juggle. You know, so he would practice. And the end of the month, he'd throw eggs, and the eggs would hit him in the face, and they would laugh. You know, and he would just do things like that. But my dad was a great role model. So he started selling insurance. And he went into his boss. He said, what's your hardest district? And they said, Harlem. So my dad started selling nickel policies in Harlem. And he made it a pretty successful area. And he, he, he kind of turned it around. And when he died, I got a letter from a lady who I guess at this time was in her 80s and 90s. And she said when she was a little girl, it was a Mr. Angelo who used to come to her house uh, to collect a nickel policy and always had a Tootsie Roll or a lollipop for her. And he was the first white man ever to have dinner in their apartment. And she said when she grew up, she hoped She'd meet a lot of Italian people and hope they would be nice like Mr. Angelo. Wow. And that's when my, you realize one person can really make a difference. Yes. You know, it, it just it not, my dad wasn't a civil rights and all, but he just believed everybody. But he sold, he was in this area and he got to know his, his people. That's what I mean when my dad was proud when Italians would be on the phone because, you know, with the guys. See, made you quite emotional. Oh, yeah, yeah I, I do get emotional about that because it, it really, it really struck me that yeah. my dad was not a well-educated guy. He was smart, but he knew the difference between right and wrong. Mm. And you know, it's very moving to see how moved yeah. you are. Yeah, it was really, really something for me because that was a leading by example. Yes, you know that's what my dad always did. We're in a garage full of spectacular, wonderful cars. You were in here, I think, a year or so ago when you had a horrific accident and it could have been even worse right tell me what happened i was in the shop and i got a face full of gas and the spark, what was the car you were working on? uh 1907 white steam car and my face caught were fire. you underneath it or? i was underneath the gas hit me in the face and then a spark jumped yeah and, and you were literally on fire oh yeah i was on fire and i said dave i'm on fire he said what and he pulled me out and jumped on top Dave's of one of the guys that works in your yeah life. i drove to the hospital and uh i got to the hospital and they said, okay, we'll check you. And I go, well, I, I gotta go home and get, get my wife first. They said, oh no, you can't go home. The guy said, no, I'll go, I'll, look, guys, I'll come back in the morning. So, so I go home and I go Wait, to sleep. How did you get home, you drove? I drove, yeah. You drove yourself? Yeah, I drove myself, but I went to you, bed. You, your face has been on fire. Yeah, my face is on fire. Then I went to bed and then when I woke up, the pillow had melted to my face. Oh my God. So, so I'm sitting there with scissors, <laughs> cutting the pillow. Oh my God. So, so, so I went back to the hospital. <laughs> They took the pillow off my face. You lost layers of skin, didn't you? From oh, yeah, yeah. It was, oh, yeah, yeah. And you got a, broadly a new ear. 
Yeah, that's a brand new ear. That's pretty good, isn't it? How it, much of it is actually? Ears are like paper. They go up, they, when you're fired, they just, because there's no bone or anything. Did you literally lose an ear? Well, like, they, they, re, they remanufactured, they made that one. Did you worry in the period no. you were in hospital? I, you know, I'm not a worrier, I'm not a stress guy. You know, anything after tonight's show is gravy, it's really, you know. My parents got to see me be successful. That was one of the great joys of my life, that they were proud of me and all that kind of stuff. When you had the, the fireball right. injury, right. the phone goes and it's the President of the United States, right. Joe Biden. Right. Well, that's what's hilarious, okay, because uh, prior to that, I, my friend Steve, we're in his car, and it's on the speaker, and... Now, normally, when you could get a call from the president, it, 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 it's, uh, is this general? Yes, it is. Are you prepared to take a call from the president of the United States? Yes, I am. Please stay on the line. Mm -hmm. So you stand in line for a minute. You hear one thing. President Bush will pick up the line. Jay, oh, how are you, sir? Nice to meet you. From the car, how are you? Ring, hello. Jay? Jay, it's Joe! <laughs> what? Joe, Joe Biden. I don't. Oh, Joe Biden, President of the United States. He goes, yeah. How how you feeling? I'm I'm okay, sir. Thank you for calling. No, no. It just 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 made me laugh. Jay, it's Joe. It just it just made me laugh. The National Enquirer front page, I think, was TVJ and Fireball Horror. Or oh something. yeah, Fireball Horror. But I think most people believe if they had an extra fifty thousand dollars, they would have no problems at all. Hmm. And I think people really, most people believe that. I think if you're a happy person and you're sick, wealthy, well, you're happier. But if you're a terrible person, you're not going to be happy because you're still a terrible person. It's not the amount I of mean, money you've you interviewed so many very rich people. Yes. Do you see evidence that money buys happiness? Well, it doesn't buy happiness, but it could certainly make you happier. I mean, it removes to, worries. It removes worries. But it worries. also, in a way, creates others, right? Yeah, but you can, I mean, the fact that I could give scholarships to people or put a roof on my Uncle Louis' house, and when I get home, Jay gets the big meatball. The big meatball is for Jay. He put the roof on. Jay gets the big meatball. I get, oh, I get the big meatball. You know? You know, so, I mean, and that kind of stuff, it's, it's great fun, yeah. How important has Mavis been to you? Wonderful. I mean, again, been married 44 years. Yeah. That's another where low self-esteem is a huge thing, because if this woman wouldn't sleep with me when I was 25, why would they sleep with me when I'm 65? <laughs> no, I, I, I'm very fortunate I did not fall. I have a very good woman, and, you know, I trust... What's the secret of, of longevity, do you think, in America? I think that, you know, I remember telling this to uh, Drew Barrymore. I said, marry your conscience. Find somebody who's the person you wish you could be. My wife does a lot of charity work, and I said, oh, I'm kind of selfish. I collect cars, and you know, so, so I'm going to marry somebody who's a little better than I am. And, and it, it, it keeps everything in check, yeah. You never had kids, would you have liked to have done, looking back? No, we just never had kids. It's just never, you know something, the 44 years went by in a heartbeat. You know, I liked the idea if I had a gig, she could go with me. Do you think you'll ever stop working? Well, if I have a stroke or something, I suppose. But only, only if you were incapacitated. Well, I mean, I you like... You wouldn't voluntarily stop. Do you still love the oh, yeah. thrill of getting a laugh? Oh, Is yeah. Is that really what you're about? Oh, yeah. I think that's the, most, that's the most fun thing in the world, really. I mean, because just it, it's why I travel alone. When you travel alone, this is what happens. You get famous, and then you have people that do things for you. Mm. You know, I was telling the story about... I have a place in Rhode Island. So I go to Rhode Island. And I always go to Joe's Pizza. Okay. 
someone said, some, one of the guys said, hey, this new place, Nicholas Pete's opened up. And oh, I'll try it. So okay, I get there, and there's a line, some thin line. I get, Jay here? It's Joe. What? Joe's Pizza. Hey, Joe, how you doing? He goes, what are you doing here? He goes, something wrong with our pizza? I go, no, no, it's, it's fine. He goes, what are you doing here? I said, I, so I just make up a lie. I go, well, you know, I had a coupon. I figured I'm going I'm to try it, you know, see. He goes, coupon. We all agreed not to use coupon. He's using coupon. Okay, now, now, now I'm in this. Now I'm in this lie. I'm going. Well, um, yeah, I don't. Actually, I don't have the coupon. No, you said he's. Well, no, I'm going to go talk to him. Don't talk to him. Okay, now I'm in this stupid lie. And it just made me laugh because if I had somebody getting my pizza for me, that wouldn't have happened. <laughs> You know, the same thing happened. Do you, do you not have an entourage at all? No, I don't. I had no a, manager, no I, agent. I did, a, I did a gig for McDonald's, you know, a corporate event. So they gave me like a stack of, of, <laughs> uh, of uh, Happy Meal coupons. I go, okay, now I, I don't like to waste money or throw things away. So, all right, I'll eat lunch at McDonald's until I use it. <laughs> like Warren Buffett. Yes, yeah. So I'm in this, I'm in this fancy car, the Mercedes SLR, where the doors come up this way. So I pull in McDonald's and say, can I get two Happy Meals? A girl says, okay, sir, we only allow one Happy Meal <laughs> per visit. I said, well, that's fine. He goes, no, no, but I know it's you. I can... Now he talks to the manager. No, don't talk to him. No, just, just wait. Could you pull up? Pull up. So, so I pull up, right? So then, then the door opens, right? So kids come over, and the manager comes, Miss Leno, normally we have a policy. <laughs> then I hear a kid go, it's Jay Leno. He's arguing about his Happy Meal coupon. <laughs> I'm not arguing about my Happy Meal coupon. I'm just... I, I look like in this half a million dollar car. I just look like an idiot, like <laughs> fighting with a, <laughs> the 16 year old kid at McDonald's about a Happy Meal. It just, it just made me laugh. The guy goes, All right, I'll give you the two Happy Meal coupons this time. But normally, I go, Yeah, I'm okay, I'm fine. I got, you know, I, it just, it just. Hilarious. Well, I mean, that's what I mean. That's, that's what's fun about being on the road. Just, mm. just odd things happen. <laughs>a lot of these guys are hermit kind of guys, and they, they, they've had a car since it was new, and they've kept their whole life. And a lot of them just wanted to go to a good home, mm. you know? So I usually pay... What are, we, what are we looking at here? Okay, well, that was interesting. That's the last Duesenberg made by the Duesenberg brothers. Mm. And the guy I bought it from bought it in 46, locked it in his garage, and I bought it in 2005 after he passed away. It, the garage hadn't been opened in like 60 years. Really? This has caught my eye, mainly because it's... The Book of the Morgan. The Book of the Morgan. Yeah. <laughs> so one of these are Morgan? These are Morgan. These They're are, Morgans. These two are Morgans, yeah. 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 Magnificent, Probably. aesthetic cars. Well, English cars, yeah. <laughs> I've got to ask you, Joe, I mean, you come across as so easy-mannered. Do you ever, like, lose your shit? Um, well, you know, one time, I actually, this is kind of like a road rage story. Mm. One day I'm in, uh, I'm in my car, and I'm in an old car, I'm kind of going along, so the guy behind me, beep, 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 beep. And I go, what? I go, go around me, go around me. So I kind of pull out. As he passes me, he gives me the finger, you know? 
like, what's that all about? He goes, F you, you know. And I pull up, what's that? F you. And I go, let me guess. What do you go, 52? Fat, bald, <laughs> huh? divorced? Let me guess. Your kids hate you, right? <laughs> you hate your job. When was your greatest day? Was it high school? And I'm just berating the guy. And then he starts crying. And I go, oh, look, I'm sorry. Because oh, you're right. You're right. My, <laughs> life, my kids hate me. I, don't know. I said, all right, pull over, pull over. So I get in his car. I go, look, I'm sorry. He goes, no, everything you said was true. I said, well, how old are your kids? He goes, 9 and 11. I got two girls. And they don't they hate me. I go, look, do they like Taylor Swift? He goes, I love Taylor Swift. I go, well, look, I got her on the show Wednesday. I say, well, don't you come Wednesday. Bring your two kids as my guests, OK? I go in the dressing room. I tell Taylor about this. The greatest. Gives them CDs, swag, talking to the girls, like, you know, say, what, what songs do you like? She couldn't have been nicer. Just the most wonderful person. Really? Yeah, she was really very kind. You know, you it says a lot about Taylor Swift, that story, as huh? well. Well, yeah. I, I, what, do you, what do you make of the fact she's now this billionaire? I think it's wonderful. I mean, breaking it, all records, beating yeah. Elvis, Michael Jackson, all of them. Yeah, I think it's wonderful. I think it's great. She's really. She deserves everything. And, you know, she's a really nice person. Yes, I met her once. I thought you, she was lovely. You, know, you don't get any sort of uh, attitude mm. or any. No, just, just a wonderful person. Don't tell me you drive that out. No, I drive that in LA. Do you? Yeah, but see, it's got tires, not tread. See, like in Beverly Hills, you use the 30 caliber. When you go downtown, well, wait, wait a when you <laughs> go downtown, you put the 50 caliber. <laughs> you don't drive that through Beverly Hills, no, sure. No, no, Do I, you? I drive it. And you know something? <laughs> People just get out of the way. Do the police stop you? Or no, what? it's street legal. It's no, it's it's no bigger than a Porsche. I mean, it weighs four tons and it's got <laughs> guns on it. But other than that, it's fine. Yeah. Now, what are you driving? Uh, well, I'm going to take you to my little vehicle in a moment. All right. Uh, you'll be unsurprised to hear it's, it's rather like its owner. It's British and classy. Oh, all right. Yeah. <laughs> that's the McLaren F1. That's This one here? Yeah, that's considered probably about the most valuable car in the world you can buy right about what, now. What, what are these worth? You know, I paid 800000 for it in 98, and people thought it was crazy. But last offer I got was 20 mil. So. What? Oh, yeah, that's it. Mine just sold for 24 million, yeah. 20 million dollars? They only, they only built 64 of them, so. In the world? Yeah, and you sit in the, sit in the center, yeah. But if that car alone is worth 20 million dollars, how many have you got in total? There's 206 on the road. Cars? Yeah, yeah. So I'm doing the math here. <laughs> There's a lot of... Well, they're not all worth 20 million. No, no, they're not. But a lot of them are worth a lot of money, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Do you like Teslas? Wonderful car, yeah. Do you think Elon Musk is a genius? Yes, genius, yeah. You've actually had him... You've interviewed him in here, I You think. know something? He's a... A lot of geniuses are dreamers. Mm. He's a manufacturer. I mean... Mm. He's an engineer at Harvard. You know, he came to... He entered this garage in 2007 mm. with his prototype electric roadster. Mm. And I go, oh, this is pretty cool. And he says, you know, Jay, I'm going to build charging stations all up and down the coast. It'll be free, and you can pull in and charge it. I'm going, yeah, right, the, like that'll happen. But he was smart enough to build the infrastructure at the same time. Mm -hmm. yeah, everybody else who builds an electric car, where can I charge it? Oh, you can charge anywhere. Just plug it. Well, no, you can't. I mean, he's the only, the first one to really get the thing. So, no, he, he's a genius. Mm -hmm. Incredible. Yeah, very bright guy. So you've got oh, all your cars. The Aston Martin Rapide. That's a Rapide, yeah. That's based on the Lagonda Rapide. Are you thinking James Bond when you look at this little beauty? You know, if I do a little Daniel Craig, or maybe probably Connery, actually. Huh? Huh? What do you think? I was thinking more Terry Thomas, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, you can have it 20 million. All right, there you go. Thank you. Thank you very much. 
it's my, it's my going rate. It's it obviously not worth that, but because I've driven it. Right, because you've driven that. Massively that, increases that, the value. No, that is the value. <laughs> <laughs> Jay, it's been what a, what a pleasure. Man, a pleasure. <laughs>